what have you learned in the last four months? What have you learned? Proverbs 27, you'll see on the overhead, here's some of the things that we've learned. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. It's been a shocker. So what have we learned? We learned that life is short, and we need to basically use our time wisely. <clears throat> and you are doing that this weekend by tuning in, being built up in worship, and having your faith grow through the teaching of the word. We also learned this, 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We learned that all of us need God's help with our fears and anxiety. And God is there for us to help us. We've also learned this, Hebrews 13, 5. God, never will I leave you, he says. Never will I forsake you. We've learned to enjoy God's promises. God sees. God cares. He comes. And he does always deliver. The last one is this. I have told you these things, Jesus speaking, so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. Now here's the joyous part. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We have learned that God basically does one thing. He, he takes his promises, his faith, and he defeats our fears. Four months ago, we learned a verse in the very first sermon I teached in 2020. Here it is. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct our paths and make them straight. Now, this verse reminds us that God has 2020 vision. What does that mean? He knows and he sees everything that is ahead for all of us as Christ followers. As you listen to the news around the world, nobody really knows what's next, what's coming, what's going to take place, what's going to happen. I can tell you, someone does. Our God knows it. He's all-knowing. Now, as you think about that, that word trust, trust in the Lord, simply means this. To transfer our dependence and our confidence to God because he's all-knowing. The word acknowledge is very personal. It means to know God personally and always seek his will for our lives. 
Now, here's a very powerful promise from God that proves one thing. God is in control. Watch this. You're going to hear this all through the teaching this weekend. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, here's a question for us. Who is the promise to? Is that promise to everybody? No. This is very important. That promise is only for Christ followers. Say this with me, wherever you're at on this weekend, say this with me right now. What Satan means for bad, God turns to good. What Satan means for bad, God turns it for good. And you're going to see that in the teaching this weekend. As we look back to January until now, all things in themselves are not good. Like accidents, coronavirus, loss of a job, marriage problems, sickness, lots of deaths, money problems. But God takes these circumstances, good and bad, and he knows how to mix them together for every Christ follower for our good. He is in the process right now of taking all of these difficult things and he's mixing it for all our good because his goal is to bring us to maturity to be like Jesus Christ. Now, in Acts chapter 8, you can get ready. We'll be there in a little bit. We're going to start in Acts chapter 7. I want to prove to you what Satan means for bad, God turns into good. And I'm going to prove that to you in a number, number of ways. And one more key thing. As we move toward the end of the teaching, I'm going to show you how this promise applies to the coronavirus. Now remember, back in chapter 7, you can turn there if you like, to chapter 7, verse 55 in Acts. That Stephen had boldly proclaimed that the Jewish, to the Jewish leaders, that Jesus was not only the Son of God, but Jesus was their Messiah. Stephen also told them they weren't teachable. They weren't open to any truth he was giving. He knew they weren't listening. They're getting angry the whole time. Now, Stephen also said to them that they would not listen, and when he said that basically to them, here's what he said. You always reject the Holy Spirit. You see, the one speaking really was verbally was Stephen, but it was the Holy Spirit speaking to them, trying to convict them of their wrong understanding of the Scripture. So as Stephen is finishing his one and only sermon he ever taught, he knows he's in big trouble. Now look at verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he proclaimed this. Look, I see heaven open 
and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 57 gives us the response. At this, the Jewish leadership, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes, get ready now, listen, at the feet of a young man named Saul, key person we'll teach about this weekend. Now, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. As you study the Bible, we see amazing role models that influence people's lives. And actually, when we read the stories, influence our life as well. You know, the, the word influence simply means this, to have an effect upon, to shape somebody else's life. Well, Stephen was an incredible role model. He was an incredible young man that would have a huge lasting influence on many believers in Jerusalem. Later, we will see Stephen has a huge influence on the name we just mentioned, Saul. Now, as we study tonight and we look at this chapter, this whole weekend, watch this key. Satan's goal, he loves to steal, he loves to kill, and he loves to destroy. Now, when Satan sees the Jewish leaders murder Stephen by stoning him, he's smiling. You know what he does? To himself, he says this, I win. I win. And here's what's going through his evil mind. God, you no longer have a young man who knew the Bible and knew how to share the gospel. He's gone. He's dead. God is one less person to share the name of Jesus in our town and one less person to share the gospel. And by the way, God, Stephen's influence is gone. Satan says at the end, Sorry, God, but I win. Well, this weekend you're going to hear me say this a number of times. Did Satan win? Or did God win? Well, we have to wait and let's see. We have to wait and see who won. Now, Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death, Stephen's. Saul seemed to be a leader against the New Testament church, and especially against Jesus. He hated Jesus. He knew he was not the Messiah. Now, when you see that, 
Interesting, the word approval in the original language means this. He was very pleased with Stephen's stoning. Now that's a heart that's hard and run by Satan for sure. Verse 2, and godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. We're not exactly sure, but these are probably Jewish men who became followers of Jesus Christ when Peter presented his gospel about Jesus. Remember on the first sermon that Peter gave, 3,000 Jewish people became Christians. Probably some of those people were there. Now, let's go back again to Acts chapter 1. You see it on the overhead. On that day, the very day that Stephen was stoned, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So we discovered that Stephen's death immediately did something. It triggered a widespread persecution against the church and against Christians, those people who loved and had a relationship with Jesus. Now, remember that persecution had already started in Jerusalem against the church. Remember, Peter was in jail a couple times. John was in jail. The disciples were in jail. They had already experienced all kinds of persecution. But now, this is very different. Because jail was replaced with starting to murder Christians. Do you know when you see that? Look at what the persecution looked like. Acts 8.3. And Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. We don't have time this weekend, but to go to Acts 22, it says this, that Saul also killed many believers. Now, what you see there of Saul going and others trying to destroy the church, putting people in jail, killing Christians. That's 2,000 years ago. That's still happening tonight, this weekend. You'll see it over and over again. Remember, I talked to you. We used to go to China. I can't go to China anymore. The Christians are being persecuted terribly. India, same exact thing. And you can see it in different parts of the world. So what you see there is not new. Behind all of this, of course, is Satan. He's got that goal. Steal, kill, destroy. Now, we know as this persecution breaks out, here's Satan again. He's proud. He's happy. Saul is destroying the church of Jesus Christ. You, you remember that Satan was against Jesus from the beginning of time. 
after he fell. He was always trying to get rid of that person that was going to come and be the savior of the world. Well, basically, as Saul is doing this, here's Satan again in his mind. Yeah, God, you lose. Your church is being destroyed. And by Saul, who I have deceived. I've deceived him. He thinks he's doing right. I know he isn't, but I'm not telling him. Now, when you see that, here's what happens. Let me ask you a question. You've already heard it. Did Satan win? Or did God win? Well, we have to wait, and let's see. Later, in Acts chapter 9, we see that Jesus comes to Saul on his way to Damascus. Now, remember, he was going up there, even out of Israel, to do one thing, to attack Christians, put them in jail, beat them. Well, Jesus on that road opens Paul's, or Saul's, spiritual eyes to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. He has an encounter with Jesus from heaven. So Saul becomes a totally changed man and even gets his name changed. Saul becomes Paul. Later, Paul the Apostle. Now, he becomes an incredible Christ follower. I want you to see with me, I want to read it to you. What does Paul write after all of this? What does he write in his conversion? Let me read it to you. If you want to write it down, you can write this down. 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. Here's what Paul writes. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience and mercy and grace as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I want to stop there for a moment. You know, very often, people who were never raised in Christianity or don't really understand God's love for them, very often they just go off and do their own things and they, and they get deceived by Satan and they begin to just rule their life themselves. And once in a while, they'll come to some place or maybe one of you share with them and they hear this thing about Jesus and here's the first thing they say, I'd like to have a new life. I'd like to start over again. This is a miserable life I'm having. By the way, Paul was miserable inside. And people, when they say that, they, I'd like to come to Christ. But God would never give me a new start. Look at my background. He wouldn't be interested in me at all. By the way, let me just say to you, if you're watching tonight and maybe you got into these things, and I, I don't even care what you got into, but you're thinking, I'd like a new start. I'd like to get rid of all that and start over again. Well, let me tell you, don't listen to Satan. He'll say to you, nah, too much, too late. God will not ever forgive you. What did I just read? 
one of the worst sinners, Paul called himself, in history. God showed him grace. He showed him mercy. He became one of the most powerful Christ followers everywhere. At the end of our services this weekend, when I say to you, if you'd like to have a new start, just be ready. Because he will do it in an instant. He loves to do that. Now, there's one more thing I want to share with you. You see it on the overhead. What was the specific confession? Watch what comes from the Apostle Paul's heart. Acts 22, 19 and 20. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. You know that Satan's goal, he's always after one person, Jesus. Now, why is that? Because Jesus defeated Satan at the cross, and the resurrection proved it. You see, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's always after him. And notice what Paul says. And when the blood, careful, watch this very closely. When the blood of your martyr, Stephen, was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Now, if you notice from that verse, after Paul had his conversion, this happens after, he had to have often thought back to the truth that Stephen preached that day from the Old Testament all the way through. That whole thing was teaching the Jewish people that Jesus was the Messiah. He was, and they rejected it. Paul rejected it. He remembers that sermon that Stephen gave, which proved that from the Old Testament prophecies that Jesus was that. Now, there's no doubt to me that that stayed with Saul, who became Paul. But one more thing. While he's being stoned, Paul would never forget the words of Stephen. Here they are. God, do not charge them, the people that were stoning him, with the sin killing me. That had to have been in Paul's heart for a long time. You see, Satan claimed victory when the Jewish leaders stoned Stephen. God, you're done. You're over with. I got you. I've also deceived Paul. He's gone. Stephen's gone. There's no more influence for you in that young man. He will never teach again. Well, there's no question that Satan claimed victory, but we're going to see who really brought the victory. And of course, that's God. Three times God won. Let me tell you the three. Number one, Stephen influenced other believers in Jerusalem to be bold as he was and speak out for Jesus. He was never, ever afraid to do that. Why? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Stephen's death eventually had a positive effect on Saul. Stephen would never know this. I thought about this as I was studying this weekend. When Stephen died, as far as we know, 
He, he never felt he was a success. That nobody, that great teaching, nobody came to Christ. But he's in heaven now, and he sees the amazing influence he had, the role model he had. And I'll show you more about that in a second. Now, the second thing is this. Jesus personally comes to Saul, and he proves to him that Satan is a liar, and he's been deceiving the whole time. Because, remember, Satan says, that isn't the Messiah. You don't even, what are you worshiping him for? He's just a man. Forget it. But when Saul's there, who's he talking to? The Messiah, Jesus. Where's he talking to him? In heaven. Hello. Guess who won that one? God did. God did. He now knew that Jesus was the true Messiah. Satan lost that one. Here's the third one. Paul became, I love this one. Listen closely. Paul became a godly role model who influenced thousands of people during his life. I don't know how many people. And Paul wrote at least, listen, 13 books in the New Testament. And all these New Testament books continue to influence all believers in Jesus Christ 2,000 years later. As we go through the book of Acts, you are going to be influenced. I'm influenced. If I mention the name Apostle Paul, the Bible comes to us. What a writer. What an amazing apostle he was. And let me shock you with something. Basically, you may not really get this, but I just say this. Remember our verse? Take a look on the overhead. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, for Christ followers, who have been called according to his purpose. I want to leave that there for a moment. Let me ask you a question. Who wrote that? (laughs) You got it. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Look at that. He writes because he knew exactly that what happened in his life. All the things that Satan meant for evil, God changed every one of them. And Paul is proof. We study So many of his epistles in the Bible filled with truth that set us free. I just remember one verse off the top of my head. Actually, two things. Paul writes, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. If you're feeling condemned, that didn't come from God. That came from Satan. Here's another one. Paul writes it. God is for you. He's not against you. Who tells you? That he's against you, the liar. Don't believe in him. You see, it, the, the Bible is so filled. Of course, Paul was anointed by the Holy Spirit as he wrote these books. Now, say it with me one more time. You see it on the overhead. Say it like you mean it. What Satan means for bad, God turns to good. Here we go. What Satan means for bad, God turns to good. Maybe you're going through something very, very difficult this weekend, and it's bad. We all have those kind of things. Hold on. God will turn it to good. That's why I wrote, took this shirt on, because I want it to be cheerful. Understand that God loves you. He's in control of everything. Now, 
as we move on, interesting things take place. Let's go back to Acts 8.1. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, it's very interesting, and I have this written in my Bible from like 30 years ago. Acts 8.1 is directly connected to Acts 1.8. If you'd like to write it in your Bibles this weekend, just do that. It's definitely connected. Watch this. Acts 1.8. But you, Jesus speaking to the disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Judea, excuse me, in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus had instructed his followers to begin their witness in Jerusalem. They did that. But then they were to branch out Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, which is still going on today. Now, we don't know exactly why the apostles decided to stay in Jerusalem. But remember, at this point, there was probably somewhere between eight and 10,000 new believers in Jerusalem that Peter had ministered to and the other apostles that were there. But these people, this is a very short time after Jesus goes back to heaven. So they're not really discipled a lot yet. They're fairly young people. So the apostles figured, well, this is where we start. Let's get these people to become disciples. Then we can think about different places to go. So that's probably why they decided to stay there. Because remember, who's after the church of Jerusalem? Satan is. Definitely. And so at that point, way back before Saul got changed, that's exactly who was against it. Now, here's one more thing. No doubt, Satan's goal was to use his persecution to stop the spread of the gospel uh, in the church, in the New Testament church, to stop it totally. But we'll see later. No, it just keeps going. But Satan would have one other goal, to use this persecution that started on that day to scatter younger believers with no experience. You see, these people, these people that left were not the apostles. They're left in Jerusalem. And all those apostles. And who gets scattered? The younger believers. And they're scattered, you're going to see, to Judea and Samaria. And they're there and Satan's going, yes. They know nothing about the gospel. They don't be able to preach about Jesus. The younger guys are going to go out and, man, that's fantastic. That will die and it'll be over with. There'll be no fruit from that at all. God knew differently. And you'll see this weekend and more next weekend, God won again fantastically. Now, as you see all of that, look at Acts 8, 4 and 5. But the believers, the ones that were scattered, these younger Christians, were scattered, preached, what did they preach? <laughs> the good news about Jesus wherever they went. They spread everywhere. And Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria 
And what did he do? I was thinking about that this week. That when he went there, he got in a little apartment and he locked the door. He's shutting down. I'm not going out there. It's too dangerous out there. There's too dangerous out there. I'm going to just get staying right here. I don't know why you sent me here, God, but I'm going to make sure that nobody knows me here. I'm going to just stay here. I'm not going to ever share the gospel at all. Sounds like coronavirus, doesn't it? That's not exactly what he did. He didn't do anything like that. Look what he said. And wait till you see next, next weekend what really placed with him. And it says this. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about who? The Messiah. He was bold. He was a Grecian Jew. And like Stephen, he had been a faithful deacon and what, what, waiting on tables all those times. But now God is going to use him unbelievably. Now, remember, why could he do this? Because he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit makes us bold to share with our neighbors and other people about Jesus Christ. Now, Philip is sharing the good news, proving the promise of Acts 1.8. You will receive power when he comes down, and you will be my witnesses. One of the places he's at, Samaria. That is proving God's promise. Now, is Satan happy about this? When he hears what's going on in Samaria? Ask yourself, who's winning? Satan or God? Well, let me read it to you again. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What Satan means for bad, God turns to good. Once again, God wins. Look at this. The persecution actually spread the good news in Samaria, and the church grew. But this was just the start. This was just the start. Samaria was just the beginning of fulfilling God's goal of taking the good news to the whole world. Later, we will see, as we move through the book of Acts, Paul would be gifted by God, and as he moves on and starts writing, he establishes churches, he becomes a missionary, and he takes the gospel to all over the world. And he really is gifted by God for Gentiles. Now, many of you who are listening to me this weekend, you're a Gentile. Paul is the one that started that with the Gentiles. He didn't forget the Jews, because he was a Jew, but he also spread it to what Jesus was trying to do. Now, we saw today in Acts 8, what we just saw, what I just explained to you, should remind all of us that life is not a playground. It's a battlefield. Spiritual warfare is real. You remember this one? John 10, 10, you see it on the overhead. The thief, Satan, has comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Now, today, Satan has a goal very similar to what we've just said. Same, same Satan, same goal, to stop the spread of the gospel whenever he can in any parts of the world. Now, how is he going to try to do that? Well, take a look on the overhead. The corona virus. 
Who's responsible for the coronavirus? Not God. No, he didn't come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Satan. He's behind it. He is the one behind it. One of his goals is to stop the good news to all the world, especially to stop churches that Jesus designed. That's what he loves to do. We see all the time in the news, churches being burnt, people being killed all over the world while they're at church. And of course, when they're not, they just cut their heads, they burn them. That persecution continues today. But I want to say this to you. Satan would close churches and stop people coming to church. Why? He knows they're going to get fed here. As you're getting fed this weekend by the word of God, as you're loving the worship that our bands play. But understand, Satan will also try to do one thing. Stop our children from learning about God. Satan would send fear and anxiety and depression and lies to our mind. Whether We say, well, there's no hope. God doesn't have any answers to the virus. But we saw 2,000 years ago that God defeated Satan's goal of using persecution to stop the spread of the good news. The gospel spread even farther, impacting so many people coming to Christ. Well, now listen. The same God who defeated Satan back there 2,000 years ago has already been at work in our churches, our families, in our lives. But God has stepped up. He's provided a way for the churches around the world to stream their services by using live video. Here at CCM, God has provided the talented wisdom and all the help with our production staff, our bands, the people that come from all of our campuses. God's just enabled us to do that just brilliantly. You're watching this weekend in a place you never thought you'd watch it. I'm teaching <laughs> to a place that seats about 3,000 seats. And uh, yeah, you see who's here. Hi, how are you? Now, when you see all this happening, let me just share some other things God has done. Satan was saying, if I close the church, it's done. God said, no, 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 no. It's not done. It's just starting. Now watch this. Our pastoral staff has been sharing devotional videos and sermons bringing peace, hope, and joy to our church family. Our pastors have been making sure that our children's ministry, the youth ministry, the young adults ministry are being ministered to. Same thing with online videos as well. By the way, many of you parents, you're doing fantastic. You've never had your family together like this forever so much in here at the table, eating together and all those things. Thank you for being a good role model, mom and dad. Way to go. Way to go. Now, one more thing. Our musicians have led us in amazing worship that leaves us with joy. We need that joy in these difficult times. And they provided that. Last, let me say this. Our pastor's staff has just been incredible. They're doing all of these different videos. Pretty soon, we'll have a new surprise for you coming on a Wednesday evening, maybe once a month. Our elders are involved. They're still, if you need prayer, you can just get online and they will pray for you. Anoint you with oil on the DVR or whatever. Here we go. But it's still God. One more thing. God has helped me to listen to what he wanted me to teach and has provided me with the practical applications that make sermons come alive in our lives. See, it's not me. I, I woke up about a week and a half ago and God gave me this one for this weekend because I didn't know where am I going to go after Easter, God? And I've learned through this very difficult time 
better than I've ever learned before. God, what do you want? And he shared this with me. To our whole CCM family, thank you for your faithfulness by inviting people to watch our services. You, yes, you, have played a huge part by praying for people to come to a personal relationship with God. You've been bold. You've invited neighbors. You've done all of that. Well, the proof of your witness, here's the fruit. God powerfully moved on Easter weekend. Remember, we had our Good Friday services by each pastor in those campus, Pastor Dave, Pastor Dave down in Sebastian, and Pastor TJ. On that, those Easter services, excuse me, those Good Friday services, 53 people came to Christ. Way to go. Way to go. And then on our Easter service, the three Easter services, listen, it's just a week ago, more than 150 people came to salvation. That's God. That's not me. That's not any of the pastors. It's the Holy Spirit that's speaking to people's lives. But I have something else for you. Surprising. In the last five weekends, last five weekends, we've had more than 300 people accept Jesus Christ. Now, I call that a revival. Satan is angry. He's already red, so he can't get any more red in his face. But he's angry. Because God's at work. He thinks he's winning. I'll close that church. I'll stop it. God says, I got another plan. And here's the plan. Here we are. Why? Because God always wins. Now, understand this. Look on the overhead. Remember this as we're still walking through this. Satan means the coronavirus for bad. But God is turning it for good. That's why God had me titled this teaching, Moving Forward in 2020. Don't go back. We're already past that. We're going forward. Now, here's one more thing. Seeing all this happening shouldn't surprise us because a few months ago, God gave us this verse. Look on your screens. Isaiah 43, 19. For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in a dry wasteland. See, God has fulfilled his promise during this very, very difficult time. And he has begun a new thing. A revival moving us forward, impacting our world in some of the most difficult times we've ever, ever been in. But God is changing people's lives. Moving us forward in 2020 is exactly what God's doing. He's moving us forward. But we have to move along with him. Don't become discouraged. Often, we do not understand the different ways God uses as he's working all things together for good. They just seem strange. I guarantee you, we've all said this question to God. God, why did you allow me to go through that experience? But when we get through it and we look back, we realize that God used that experience for our good, to be more mature, to understand that we can trust him. doesn't matter the circumstances. Think about that tonight. The things that you're facing, I don't think we'll ever, God, what are you doing? Why didn't you just stop it? 
he's maturing us. He's causing us to trust him in every situation. Can I ask you to write this down? We need to expect God will bring good out of bad. See, if you're a Christian, you can expect that. And here's what I want to show you. You can just say it at home. I'm going to say it here. There is light at the end of the tunnel. I'd like to hear you say amen. You could say it. I won't hear it, but I'll just believe you're saying it. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Soon God will get us through this difficult time. Why? Because God always wins. Think about that. The light is coming. Now, who would that light be for us? The light of the world is Jesus. He knows what's happening. He knows exactly. He and the Father, they've got it taken care of. The Holy Spirit's with them. And I just want to encourage you. Now, there's one more thing I'm going to do. In a few moments, in all of our services, we will have one more song at the end. Today, I shared with you one of God's great promises. Thousands of you are watching, as they were last weekend. Here it is again. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But as I told you before, that promise is only for people who love God, only for people who have a relationship with God. Remember, Satan has a goal to keep people out of heaven. God has a goal to get everybody to heaven. And he made sure it would happen because he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for the sins of the whole world. How can you have that personal relationship with God and get that promise that no matter what comes in your life, he'll turn it around and make it good. No matter what you've done in the past, he'll forgive all of us and give you a brand new start. Here's how. Romans 10, 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Notice, not you will be, you absolutely will be saved, guaranteed. Not maybe, you will be saved. Here's all I want you to do. If you want your sins forgiven and know that when you die, absolutely you'll spend eternity in heaven, I want you to just bow your heads, and I'm going to lead you in a little prayer. Just repeat it wherever you're at. If there's people around, just bow your head and pray this privately to God. You're praying this to God. Pray this prayer after me. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. And right now, I make a decision to turn from my sins and I choose to follow you as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, come in and change my life. Thank you for loving me and forgiving me of all my sins. I've learned that I can have a new start regardless of my past. And I look forward to a life of freedom, forgiveness, security, purpose, 
and hope. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Now you're going to see on the screen a number that you can text. There it is. 321-574-6970. Just write that down, or if you have your phone, then you can just text it to that number. And here's all you say. Yes. That simply means that you prayed that prayer with me, either as a first-time believer or you made a recommitment to God. Just type in yes. And if you'd like, you can also put your email address there. It's not going to anybody else. just goes to us. And what you're going to see, even if you just do yes, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send you a letter saying congratulations. Oh, it's not about me. I just get to represent Jesus. He did all the changing in your life. And I just encourage you to do this. Plus, we will send you some books and other material that will help you in your walk with God. And I just want to say to you, welcome to the family of God. We're so glad to have you. As I remember, in the last five weeks, more than 300 people boldly, and those 300 people are on their way to heaven. And you got a brand new start. Let me encourage you to do the same in your life this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen.